Well, I ask you to turn in 2 Samuel chapter 21. It's a passage we're going to spend some time in together today. As you know, we've been walking through, reading through God's Word over these last, uh, now, two months. Today's February 28th. And as we've been walking through, as we've been spending time studying God's Word, there's a clear picture that we are drawing that goes from Genesis 1 all the way through of the promises of God. The promise that God is who He said He is, that God will do what He says He will do. Now, as we've been reading this last week in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, we know that we moved into 1 Samuel uh, showing the, the picture of Samuel's birth, of what it was like when God raised up Samuel as a prophet. God raised up Samuel to speak truth to the people of Israel. And then as the people of Israel were clamoring for a king, that God spoke to Samuel and told him, I'll give them a king, but make sure you know what they're asking for. Make sure that they know what they're in for. And so in 1 Samuel, we'll see it. we see as, as Saul was raised up, anointed as king, and, and we began to see his reign and all of the, the conflict that took place during uh, his reign as king of Israel. And then towards the end of 1 Samuel, it came to his death. And then we moved into 2 Samuel. And we see that David, having already been anointed back in 1 Samuel by Samuel as the next king, and we saw David's rise to power, even though there was a, a continuation of a, a civil war that took place, where there were two kings in Israel, and they fought against each other, and that they were at war with one another. But then God reunited, reunified the people of Israel, brought them back together. And then the book of 2 Samuel was a picture of that 40-year window of David's reign over the people of Israel. And today what I want to do is spend some time in the last part of his reign. We don't know exactly where it falls in the time of, of David's journey, but, but in the last part of 2 Samuel in chapter 21, there's some lessons that we can learn from the life of David as his time as king that we can, I believe, use and, and kind of pull into our journey and our lives and, and let them be statements that, that we can apply in our own lives so that we can make it through conflict, make it through challenge, make it through difficulty. Because 2 Samuel chapter 21 is a picture of difficulty. It's a picture of challenge because David now is king. Things are going well. The nation of Israel is not separated anymore. They're not fighting against one another anymore. They're in the promised land, and, and God is blessing that land of milk and honey, as the passage tells us. God's doing some great, great things. But yet when we find, as we get to 2 Samuel chapter 21, things have kind of gotten off track. Things are starting to get messed up a little bit, and David doesn't have a clue. Anybody ever feel like that in your journey? Things get messed up, things are tough, problems arise, and you don't have a clue. I know I've been there a thousand times, sometimes a thousand times a day when I don't have a clue. We all get to that place in our journey, and that's exactly where David was. And so today what I want to do is I want to walk us through this passage to help us kind of see and understand how we can use some lessons that, that David taught us in 2 Samuel chapter 21 to help us when we get there, when we get to that same kind of moment where David was. So I want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 21 verse 1 and read these words. It says this, during David's reign, we don't know when in David's reign, but we do know this, there was a famine for three successive years. And so David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, it is because of the blood that was shed by Saul and his family when he killed the Gibeonites. Now let me just kind of set the stage for you a little bit. 
So David's leading, Israel's doing great, they're in the promised land, but all of a sudden now, for three continual years, there's been no rain. Now, we talked about it a little bit last week. What happens when there's no rain? What doesn't grow? The crops don't grow. And they need crops for what? Food, right? And so when the crops aren't growing, there's no food in the land. When the crops aren't growing, the livestock's not being fed. When the crop's not growing, there's no steaks on the grill, right? When the crops aren't growing, everybody's hungry. And so now what's happening here is there's a famine in the land. And David's like, I can't figure this out because God brought us through a lot of challenge to get us here. God gave us victory over all of our enemies. God gave us victory upon victory upon victory, and he placed us here. And now it seems like, in David's mind, I'm kind of reading a little bit into the story that is not in the passage, but probably what was going through his mind, he's like, we're like right back in the wilderness again. Back in a time when when we don't have food, and we don't have water, and we're kind of wondering how we're going to eat and how we're going to live. And he's probably a little bit worried that the people of Israel are going to turn on him. And that they're going to start clamoring to go back to Egypt or back to somewhere so they can get some food. And so what it tells us is this, is that in the midst of those three successive years of famine, where rain's not coming and the crops aren't growing and the livestock's not eating, the cows are getting thinny, uh, uh, skinny, thinny, It's <laughs> a new word, thinny. When they're getting skinny and there's no meat in the land and people are getting worried, what does David do? Now, here's our first lesson from this passage that I want you to get. You ought to write this down, follow along the notes, because these are things that practical lessons you can learn when you're facing a famine in life. Now, I don't mean a famine like you don't know where you're going to eat. I don't mean a famine like you're wondering how you're going to find food today. I mean a famine like when your life just seems dry, when it seems like everything is falling apart, when it seems like you don't know where to turn or where to go, and there's no joy. And so now I think I'm kind of hitting on some of the places where some of us are, right? So here's the thing we do, we learn from David. Here's what David did. David went to the source. David went to the source. And so how do we apply that? We learn this. In the midst of our dry moments of life, in the midst of the famine moments of life, in our own journey, go to the source. What does it say in verse 1 that he did? It says in verse 1, right up front, There was famine in the land for three years, so David inquired of the Lord. You know what he did? He prayed. You see, oftentimes in our journey, what we do is when we're facing challenges in life, when we're going through those dry spells, those dry moments in our journey, rather than actually getting on our knees before God and crying out to God for wisdom and for clarity and for direction and for vision, here's what we end up doing. We end up trying to figure it out on our own. And I think all of us have been there. We've all tried to figure out how we're going to navigate this thing called life. And we come up with all the plans and all the ideas. And we figure out the journey. And we kind of figure out how to navigate through this and navigate through that. And and make it through this challenge and make it through that challenge. All along forgetting that the one who created everything that there is, is sitting by the phone. So go to the source. So what do we learn here? David, when he went right to the source, and you know what he found out? It's interesting that the minute that he went to the source, the minute that he cried out to God in prayer, what does it say that God did? It says that God answered. So there's another lesson, a cool lesson for all of us. Here's what it tells us, is that when we get to the place we recognize that we can go to God about anything, God is always willing to talk back. Kind of cool. You never have to sit there when you're talking with God and say, hey, can you hear me now? You never have to make sure you've got five bars on your phone to be able to get to God. God is always ready to hear from us and always ready to answer. And so what was his answer? 
His answer was clear. He said this, hey, it's because of Saul. It's because of Saul and his family because they killed the Gibeonites. Now, let me just give you a little context here. It's an important part of the story. Now, the Gibeonites were not Israelites. They were a people in the land that were there before the Israelites showed up. Now, you know, if you go back to the book of Joshua, the people of Israel were told, like, clear the decks, right? Get rid of everybody when you go into the land. I've given everybody over to you. You're going to have victory over everyone. And so you say, well, wait a minute now, why are the Gibeonites in the land? Well, if you go back to Joshua chapter 9, we read this a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember the story that when Joshua was there, after he had beat Jericho, after Jericho had fallen, if you remember the story, there was a people in Israel that came to Joshua. Remember what they did? They put on old clothes. Remember that? They put sackcloth and ashes on. They made themselves look all dusty and dirty. And they climbed on their animals and they, they went to Joshua to make it look like they traveled a long distance to get to Joshua. And what they said is, hey, we've heard that God has given you this land and we've heard, we've come from a long distance and we've heard that, that God has given you victory upon victory, so we want you to make a treaty with us because we don't want you to kill us uh, as you're coming in and moving into the land. We want you to make a treaty with us that, that you won't kill us. And Joshua made that treaty because he believed that they weren't in the land, that they came from a far distance. Now, if you continue reading that passage, Joshua and the people quickly found out that the Gibeonites had deceived them, that they were not honest, and so then Joshua said, okay, we're not going to kill you. We made that covenant with you, but because we're not going to kill you, we are going to put you in servitude to the people of Israel. And so that's exactly what they did. And so now here we are 400 years later. There's famine in the land, and David's saying, God, why, why is there famine in the land? And and God says, because of Saul and Saul's family, because they've killed the Gibeonites. In other words, they've gone back on their word. The people of Israel had turned and had not met up to the requirements of the covenant that Joshua made with the Gibeonites 400 years prior. You see, Saul was looking at these people, recognizing they're not Israelites, they're not one of us, they're not, you know, they're not the same people as we are, so here's what they wanted to do. He wanted to kill them. And it says in this passage, if you read it, that he did it out of zeal for Israel. In other words, he didn't do it out of a wicked heart. He did it because he believed that Israel was God's people. And so he wanted to make sure that he fulfilled all that he needed to, to ensure the safety and security of Israel, except for one very important fact, and that's this, is that Joshua had made a deal with them. And when you make a promise before God, a covenant before God, you can't turn your back on it. And so that's the answer that God gave to David. God said, Saul went back on his word. He went back on the word with the Gibeonites, and he's been killing them, slaughtering them. And that's why there is famine in the land. And that brings us to the second thing we can learn. Pretty cool thing that we can learn here. So first off, we always got to go to the source, right? So David inquired of the Lord. The Lord answered and so the second thing we can learn from this, from David, that we can apply in our own lives is once we go to the source and once we inquire of the Lord and once the Lord answers, which he always does, the next thing we've got to make sure we do is we've got to act on what he says. We've got to actually do what God is telling us to do. And so here's the problem. A lot of us, we, we kind of know, we get to a place where we kind of know what God wants us to do and maybe it doesn't line up with what we want to do. So you know what we do? We end up not doing what God wants us to do. Because we end up thinking, well, maybe we've got a better plan, or maybe, you know, God will change his mind, or God will figure something else out. But go back to this passage, and you skip down to verse 11. And in verse 11, or I'm sorry, sorry, verse 2. 
Let's go to verse 2 first. In verse 2, it says this. So after David heard from the Lord of why there was famine in the land, it says that David summoned the Gibeonites and he spoke to them. He asked the Gibeonites, what should I do for you? How can I make atonement so that you will bring a blessing on the Lord's inheritance? Now, David had every right to ignore them. David had every right as king of Israel to say, wait a minute now, God, I, I hear what you're saying, that there's famine in the land because of the Gibeonites, because of what Saul did to them. But, but God, hang on a minute now. So I'm the king of Israel. I'm not the king of the Gibeonites. Like, I don't really care about the Gibeonites because they're not us. They're different than us. They're, they're a different people. Why should I worry about them? That's not what David did. David, as soon as he heard God's answer, he acted. And he called the Gibeonites. He said, okay, so what can we do to make things right? How can we make peace? What can we do to figure this challenge out so that God will bring, you know, rain back to the land, so there won't be famine in the land, so he will bless the land again? What can I do to make this right? Now, the Gibeonites, they didn't ask for money. The Gibeonites didn't ask for land back. They didn't ask for some special dispensation that the king could certainly have offered. Here's what they asked. They actually asked something that lined up with the Mosaic law. It lined up with God's plan. Because in God's plan, it clearly tells us that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in the Mosaic law, in the Old Testament law, that when someone kills someone, someone kills an innocent person, that there has to be blood for blood. That was the whole idea of the, the sacrifices, right? The blood for blood. There's no, not the shedding of blood. There's no remission of sins. And so the Gibeonites actually lined up with exactly what God told the Israelites 400 plus years before. And so here's what they did. They actually said, we want seven members of Saul's family to be given over to us so that they can pay for what Saul and his family have done to ours. They've killed far more than seven, but we're asking you give us to seven people. So David quickly said, okay, it lines up with God's word. It lines up with what God tells us. So here's what we're going to do. So we're going to go find seven descendants of Saul. Now the first descendant that came to mind, and you read this passage, we're not going to read it all today, but was the guy named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. And if you go back and read in 1 Samuel, you'll see that David made a covenant with Jonathan that they would protect each other's families for the rest of their lives. And so if you read in 2 Samuel, what David did, he asked the question, hey, is there anybody left in Saul's household? And they said, yeah, there's, there's a, a grandson here. His name is Mephibosheth. And so then David said, bring him to me. Mephibosheth comes. He's worried. He's nervous that he's going to get killed. And he said, no, you're going to sit at my table, the king's table. I'm going to take care of you from now on. I'm going to give you back the land that your grandfather owned. I'm going to take care of you. And so that's exactly what David did. And so now... When he has to hand over seven people, the first likely candidate is going to be Mephibosheth. But yet, David remembered his covenant with Jonathan. He said, nope, I can't give him. So he went and he found others that were in the house of Saul, and he handed them over to the Gibeonites. Now, what that teaches us and what it tells us is this. In a time when there's an opportunity for compromise for our own good, as David taught us here, don't compromise. Don't ever compromise your beliefs. Don't ever compromise your values in order to make things easier on yourself. David could have turned his back on Mephibosheth, but he would not do that. And I want to tell you today, again, a practical application in your journey, in your life, in this world in which we live. We live in a world where compromise is everywhere. Do you know that? We live in a world where we're constantly going to be as 
Christians, as, as people of faith, we're constantly going to be pulled on by the world to give in on what we believe, to walk away from truth, to walk away from what God's Word says, and they're going to pull us a little bit further, a little bit further to give us to give in, get us to give in, get us to compromise to the point where our values and our faith aren't important to us at all anymore. That's exactly what they wanted to do thousands of years ago, and it's what they want to do today. If you've been paying attention to the news, man, we live smack dab in the middle of that kind of compromise. You may have noticed this week the House of Representatives. And just stop for a minute. The House of Representatives, the people who represent us here in the United States of America this week, they passed a bill. And that bill, they called it the Equality Act. It's actually really better called the Inequality Act because here's what it says. It says this. That a church like ours that stands on the truth of God's Word, who believes that God's Word is the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God, that we will abide by what it says, we will stand on what it says, that if someone comes to us who disagrees with our values, disagrees with our beliefs, to disagrees with God's Word, and they come to this church and they want a job, but we don't give them a job because they disagree with God's Word, it says this, that the government can sanction us, they can fine us, and they can put us out of business because we did not give them a job because we're not being fair. Now I'm going to tell you how crazy that is. And in fact, when it goes to the Senate, and by the way, I don't think it's going to pass the Senate, but I encourage you, call your senators. Here in Virginia, we have two, Mark Warner and Tim Kaine. Don't call Mark Warner because he's already said that he's going to sponsor the bill. So he's already, he's gone. Tim Kaine hasn't spoken out yet. I could call Tim Kaine and say, vote no on the Inequality Act. Vote no on that. But I'm going to tell you, if it passes... If it actually goes through and Joe Biden signs it, let me tell you what I'm going to do. The next day, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get a second job. I'm going to go out and apply for a job at Planned Parenthood to be head of their marketing and PR. Because if they're going to tell me that we've got to hire somebody that doesn't agree with us, then they better be willing to hire us that disagrees with them. And boy, I'm going to tell you, if I get that job, I'm going to have a lot of fun. When people call in and say, it's not a baby, I'll say, hey, wait, actually, let me give you some ideas here. And I'll point them right to the Liberty Godparent Home and the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center and the Bedford Pregnancy Center, and I'll teach them and show them that in our nation we were founded on religious principles. We were founded, and our Constitution says that there shall be no law respecting the establishment of religion or the practice thereof. So, man, we, we live in a crazy world. They want us to compromise. You may have seen this week that Demi Lovato, and for those of you who are over 30, you have no idea who she is. But for those of you who are under 30, you know who she is. And, and this week, she said, it's child abuse when a, an expectant couple has a gender reveal party. Because how dare the parents tell people what that baby is going to be before that baby has decided what it's going to be. And let me just tell you something. God decided what that baby was going to be. We live in a crazy world. And don't get me started on Mr. Potato Head. I mean, we live in a world where we're constantly going to be pulled away from truth. And we're constantly going to be pulled away from our values and what we believe. And here's what God's Word says. Do not compromise. We have a covenant with God. Don't ever give in, period. We've got to stand on truth. So David lived that out in this challenge. 
The land is dry. There's no food in the land. And he had an opportunity to compromise. And he said, no, I will not do that. But in the midst of of not compromising, David also taught us another quick lesson. It's an important lesson. It's a very important lesson. And it's just this. He taught us that we need to be people of peace. And you say, wait a minute, Jonathan, didn't you just tell us that we've got to stand on truth and we can't compromise? How can we not compromise and still be people of peace? That's exactly who Jesus was. You look at the life of Christ, Christ never compromised on what he believed, did he? Go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, never once do you find a place where Jesus compromised on what he believed. But do you think Jesus was somebody who loved? I think the answer is absolutely yes. You see, David taught us here to be a person of peace. And here's what he did. We're not going to jump into the, the rest of the passage, but in verses 11 and following, we read the story of how the mother of two of the people who had, had, been, uh, had paid the price for Saul and, and for Saul's family for the crimes that they had committed against the Gibeonites. Back in that day, the, uh, the tradition was, the, the, the path was that when someone was executed for what they had done, that they would just leave their bodies out on the ground. They'd leave them out on the rocks, on the sand. They would leave them there to decay in, in humiliation. But there was a mom there. And that mom actually went and she sat next to the, uh, the, the bodies of her children. And she protected those bodies from the animals. She protected those bodies from the rain. She protected those bodies at all costs. She was there morning and night, all day, every day, because she loved them so very much. And it tells us in this passage in verse 11 that when David heard about it, when he had every reason not to respond, listen to what it says in verse 11. In verse 11 it says this, is that when it was reported to David what Saul's concubine, Rizbah, daughter of Ai, had done, he went and he got the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from the leaders of Jabesh Gilead. They had stolen them from the public square of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung the bodies that day. Uh, the Philistines killed Saul at Gilboa. David had the bones brought from there, and they gathered up the bones of Saul's family that that mom was protecting, and gathered them in the, and took them to the land of Benjamin and buried those bones of Saul and his son Jonathan at Zeta in the land of Benjamin in the tomb of Saul's father Kish. They did everything the king commanded and listen to these words. And after this, God answered prayer for the land. So here's what David taught us. And man, we need to learn this. Here's what David taught us. David taught us we better be people of prayer. David taught us we better be people who will do what God tells us, obedient to God's word. David taught us we better be people who don't compromise. And David taught us we better be people of peace. He had every reason to say those people for what they had done, they they went against the covenant we made with the Gibeonites. They had disobeyed God. They had murdered those people in the land. Numbers chapter 35 told them that the land would be desolate because of murder of innocent lives. And so David had every right to say they let their bodies rot. But what he did is he was a man of peace. And he went and he gathered their bones up. And he went and gathered their grandfather's bones up. And he got them all together. And he buried them in honor. And he buried them with respect. And he honored that family. You see, David was living his life honoring everyone that he possibly could while never giving up on truth. Kind of sounds like what God wants out of us. And so today, when you walk through the journeys of life, the challenges of life, which you will, when you face problems, which you're gonna, when there's famine in your land, and I don't mean food, I mean just the dry seasons, those dry spells where life is tough, use the example of David to live your life 
according to the principles of God's word and honor him, showing people the love of Jesus all along the way. That's who God's called us to be. And so today, man, we learn some great lessons, don't we? When we spend time reading passages in God's word that oftentimes when we're reading through, we just kind of roll right through and skip right through and think that's not that meaningful. Every word is meaningful. Every passage can change your life. Don't ever lose sight of the promises of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the way you encourage us when we need it, and we desperately need it. God, we live in a crazy world. We live in a world that has gone mad. We live in a world that has turned away from truth. We live in a world that has turned away from righteousness. But God, you have placed us here in this land. And you've placed us here for a reason and a purpose to be faithful, to be obedient, to honor your words, to honor your mission, the mission that you've given to us to point people to Christ that God loves them, that Christ died for them, and he rose again three days later, and by believing in Jesus, they will be saved. God, use us to that end, and God will give you the praise. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, in a moment, we're gonna stand, we're gonna sing, Mark's gonna lead us, and this altar's gonna be open, our team's coming. And as they do, I just wanna encourage you that maybe you're sitting here today, and maybe when you go back to verse one that we read a few moments ago, And it said when David was in a dry part of his life, when he was in a dry season in the land, that he got on his knees before God and cried out to God. Maybe today you're in that space and you need to cry out to God. Our altar is going to be open. I encourage you to come down and just kneel here and just say, God, what's going on? Why am I going through this? Well, where are you, God? There's nothing wrong with doing that. Maybe you need to come and kneel here today. Maybe, Maybe you need to come and... And you just want to know more about what Christ has done because you're thinking, that sounds pretty awesome, the fact that that Jesus has paid away for my sins so that I can have eternity with him and that he's made a way through his son Jesus. And maybe you want to know more about that. Our team would love to talk with you about that. Maybe you want to come for baptism or come to join our family, our church family here. Maybe you want to come and pray for a friend, whatever it might be. As we stand right now, the altar's open. I just encourage you to respond to what God is saying to you in this moment. Let's stand together and let's sing. The altar is open. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me.
I want to thank you for joining with us today. If you've never come to the place of recognition of being a sinner and needing a Savior, you can do so right now. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you eternal life. Just ask Him to save you today. Now, if you'd like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, we'd love to chat with you about that information. I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen. It's pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Jesus Christ in your life. If you'd also like to help contribute to our ministries, we take this message of the gospel around the world. Go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with the amazing message of God's love. Help us let people know that God loves them, that Christ died for them, and that we can find hope in Jesus.